The buy now, pay later sector set for increased regulation, making it tougher to compete. COVID is back in the headlines with a surge in cases last week and calls for people to work from home. And little good news on airfare prices in the run up to Christmas. It's Tuesday, the 22nd of November, 2022. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and welcome back, Sean Aylmer. Thank you, Michael. I'm delighted to be back. I have a lot of questions for you, but I'm only going to ask you like two of them. Uh, mm. First of all, uh, you chose a spectacular time to go to the US with obviously the midterm elections and and just yeah. every and Donald Trump kind of uh, putting his hand up again to run for president. How was it? Oh, it was fantastic. I didn't realize how exciting midterm elections are until I was there in the middle of it. And it just brings all these issues that run across society in the US to the fore. And it really, really was interesting, and particularly just the fact that the outcome wasn't what many people expected. The Democrats obviously did a lot better than they were expected to do, what that meant for Donald Trump. And then he obviously came out and said he wanted to run again in 2024. So the political maelstrom of the US just when we were there was really, really interesting. And my next question was, I've confessed to you previously that I'm a bit of a, a, an aeroplane nut and I yeah. like watching flights <laughs> on Flight Radar 24, the app. And I was, I was watching your flight yesterday and I noticed you go into a, a bit of a holding pattern off the east coast of Australia and you were circling and circling and circling and circling a bit more. What was going on? Well, you know, it was one of those days where we jumped on the plane two hours later out of New York. It's an 18 hours, 15 minutes to Auckland. It was the flight, Air New Zealand. We got there late. Then we were delayed for the next flight. And then when we got to Sydney, the winds were so strong yesterday that they were only using one runway, the westerly runway. Normally they use the north-south runway. And so uh, all the planes were banked up. And so it was just a you know, what was supposed to be a 23-hour flight took 28. Anyway, I've, uh, I went to bed early last night, so I'm feeling okay. Excellent. And final question, it's more of just a, a statement. I'm hoping you didn't listen to too much while you were uh, away because um, I don't think Adam and I were entirely kind to you in your absence. Is that right? Yes. Oh, I might have to go back. and oh, Look, I did check out totally. So Good. now you've said that. I will go back and check what you said about me. Yes, yeah, we've hidden a few little Easter eggs in there for you to find. Excellent. So enjoy. All right. Now, uh, immediately, you've really jumped straight back into it because uh, immediately after the show today, you have a- an interview with Cynthia Scott, who is the managing director of Zipco in Australia and New Zealand. That's right. The government yesterday came out with an options paper about how to regulate that sector. We were fortunate enough to get Cynthia on the show this morning. Really fascinating. She is actually all for regulation, unlike some of her brethren, and she explains why in the interview. Certainly, this whole buy now, pay later issue and whether it should be regulated and considered a credit product has come to the fore. It's going to happen whether the sector likes it or not. So, perfect timing to talk to Cynthia. Yeah, absolutely. That's coming up a little bit later on. And that is also the main story this morning because that that whole sector is set for really what you would describe as a major shakeup. The government is hinting that it's going to bring the sector under the Credit Act and licensed providers, including a, a sliding unsuitability test. 
Yes, the days of just applying online in a few seconds for a buy now, pay later product will be over if the government goes ahead with proposals outlined yesterday, and it is likely to. Financial Services Minister Stephen Jones released a discussion paper with three options, including a self-regulatory option and two options to bring the sector under the Credit Act. Mr Jones indicated he was inclined to bring buy now, pay later providers under that act. One option would see the sector partly under the Credit Act, including licensing. The other would see the sector brought completely under the Credit Act, similar to credit cards. Mr Jones said it was about ensuring consumers didn't get themselves into hot water. We've seen a lot of that recently. He also said buy now, pay later was a great innovative product that provided competition to credit cards, but it needs to happen in the right way. Now, Sean, you mentioned Zipco and the fact that they are uh, quite open to to regulation, but broadly speaking, the sector's been somewhat resistant to it for, for quite a few years. Yeah, it's been a competitive advantage. It's cheaper for them than credit card providers because there's been less regulation. Now, it's always been a bit of a cloud on the horizon for many buy now, pay later players because it will make it harder to provide money or credit customers. That's the bottom line of it. Under two of the options, a buy now, pay later player would have to obtain a credit license officially and meet responsible lending obligations. That's a far higher hurdle than what they've got currently. What's really given this a kick along is that 19% of buy now, pay later customers surveyed by the corporate regulator said they had to cut back or go without essentials to make repayments. There's a bunch of statistics a bit like that, including growth in bad debts. Also, it's now a big part of the payment system with 7 million active accounts last financial year and $16 billion in transactions. Remember, the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority not that long ago said it wasn't big enough to regulate. Well, things have certainly changed. And overseas jurisdictions, including the United Kingdom, the USA and New Zealand, are beginning to regulate the sector. Michael, it's going to be a very challenging time for the buy now, pay later companies in the economy over the next year or two. Yeah, it certainly is. It is a fascinating sector and it's well worth sticking around for your interview with Cynthia Scott from Zip coming up a little bit later on. Local markets, what happened yesterday? Well, the S&P ASX 200 finished down 0.2% yesterday to 7,139 points. I've got to say, Michael, having been away for a couple of weeks and really ignored the news, I was surprised how high the bourse was. It really had a strong run in the first couple of weeks of this month, though it's taken a bit of a breather over the past few sessions. The big industrials fell back yesterday with Fortescue down almost 4%, while BHP and Rio Tinto were both off 2.3%. Woodside and Santos, the energy giants, they were both off around 1%. The Real Estate Investment Trust Goodman Group fell 1.3%, and Tech Leader Wise Tech Global fell about 2.3%. The banks had a good day, led by Westpac, which rose 1.5%, and ANZ, which was up 1%. Toll Road Operator Transurban was the best of the large caps, up 2%. Best of the day was AGL Energy, up more than 4%, while Toll Road Group Atlas Arteria jumped 3.8%. Worst in the day was healthcare group Nanosonics. It was downgraded by investment brokers and then sold off. And what about global markets? Can we expect now that you are back from the US that we're going to hear a lot less in terms of complaints about the Aussie dollar? Yeah, we're not even going to mention it. I mean, it's trading around <laughs> 66 and a half US cents. Given the fact that when I left, it was like 63 and a half US cents. I've got a bit of a bug about that one. We're not yep. talking about it. Forget okay. it, right? All right, good. You know, I mean, really, everything at the moment is about cryptos. The collapse of the FTX empire has taken the whole sector with it. 
well, the whole sector hasn't collapsed, but sentiment towards cryptos ain't good. Creditors continue to pick through that wreckage with 3.1 billion US dollars owed to top creditors, including two customers owed more than 200 million US dollars each. FTX says it has assets and liabilities of at least 10 billion US dollars. It's estimated there are more than 1 million creditors in total. There are also reports, Michael, this morning that another crypto lender, BlockFi Inc., is preparing to file for bankruptcy. That ain't so good. That's weighing on the sector. Bitcoin is currently trading around 16,000 US dollars a unit, more than 75% lower than its peak 12 months ago. All right, there is plenty going on. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, coronavirus is in the headlines again with health experts urging employees to work from home as the number of COVID-19 infections jumped 30% last week. Nearly 80,000 people contracted the disease in the seven days to last Thursday across the country, more than double the level of infections of three weeks earlier. Now, the new infections range from new Omicron subvariants XBB and BQ1, as well as the existing variants such as BA5. Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly last week said that Australia was nearing the middle of the current wave, with cases expected to peak soon if Australia's experience mirrors Singapore's most recent outbreak. Thus far, the government has pushed back on calls for more restrictions, such as the reintroduction of masks, but the Health Minister, Mark Butler, is pushing for the 5.5 million Australians yet to have a third dose of the vaccine to come forward and get a jab. Couldn't agree more. Australians aged 18 and over will have access to Pfizer's Omicron-specific booster shot from December 12, after the federal government accepted a recommendation from the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation. Now, Sean, one of the big events uh, that took place while you were away was the meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and Anthony Albanese at the G20, and now we're kind of starting to see some of the the flow-on effects from that. And the chairman of the Foreign Investment Review Board says that the thawing of those relations between Australia and China could mean more merger and acquisition interest from Chinese companies. That's right. Bruce Miller was making his first public speech as FERB chairman. He says Chinese interest in Australian investments has fallen heavily in recent years amid tension in the relationship and trade sanctions on commodities like barley, beef and wine. But a stabilisation of ties after last week's meeting between the PM and President Xi could see more interest from China in buying Australian assets. He said increasing investment from China is a bit of a double-edged sword, though. We need the foreign capital, but there are always concerns about national security. Now, Parliament was back yesterday and started with tributes to former Liberal Industrial Relations Minister Peter Reith, who died earlier this month. That's right. Both sides of politics spoke about what a tough, unrelenting politician Mr Reith was. He served in the Howard government and pushed through some very significant industrial relations reforms. Both leaders, Anthony Albanese and Peter Dutton, also welcomed the release of Australian academic Sean Turnell from a jail in Myanmar. It's great to see Sean out of prison. Once question time got going, there was plenty of focus on Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's recent meetings with US President Joe Biden, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Chinese President Xi Jinping. Of the latter, Mr Albanese said it was a very constructive discussion and he wants the two countries to move forward together with a stabilisation of the relationship. Also yesterday, Treasurer Jim Chalmers said the federal government had paid out $55 million in financial assistance in more than 47,000 flood claims across New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania. It's good to see Canberra back in action. 
It, it is indeed. Now, the much-mooted inland rail project is under scrutiny from the new government as it looks to fix the budget and really not trigger bigger price hikes in the overstretched construction market. Surprise, surprise. Isn't it funny how every time the inland rail project gets a <laughs> kick along, <laughs> one step forward, two steps back. Would you like to have a guess at when it will actually happen, Sean, if you're just... Uh... Oh, not in my lifetime. Not no, a chance. I, sus- I suspect not. No. <laughs> anyway. Yesterday, Infrastructure Minister Catherine King said she'll take a hard-nosed look at the $14 billion project. It's supposed to link Melbourne to Brisbane, but it's been hit with delay after delay, really, for a long, long time. I mean, the actual proposed route is still being discussed. Now, some construction has begun, but of course, recent floodings has delayed much of that as well. Ms. King said a rush of big ticket items could put further pressure on the construction market, particularly labour and material costs. Now, the government is expected to report on its review into Infrastructure Australia before the end of the year. Did you know that that review is considering the 800 projects currently in the government's national infrastructure pipeline? Eight. 100 infrastructure projects. That is a chunky review. That is a chunky review. I agree. Now, uh, Sean, I'm not going to read too much into the fact that you've just um, gotten off a, a what 21-hour kind of two-leg flight back from the US, and now suddenly we have a story about airfares. Mm. Coincidence? Maybe. But one of the travel sector's leading experts has now warned that the current sky-high ticket prices must come down for the sector to truly recover from COVID-19. Melbourne Airport Chief Executive Laurie Argus, speaking at the Financial Review's Infrastructure Summit, said it will be a while before airfares fall from their highest level in 14 years. That's because Qantas and Virgin have put a lot of effort into solving operational issues, hiring hundreds more people and needing to recoup those costs. But eventually prices must come down if airlines expect people to use them. Fair enough. She said Qantas would throw everything it can at the holiday period to help fix issues with delays, cancel flights and lost baggage because from a branding perspective, the national carrier just can't afford to have a really bad Christmas. On the international front, Ms Argus said Australia was still having trouble convincing tourists to make the trek down under because of a lingering stigma from last year's lockdowns and border closures. Another interesting story out of the AFR summit comes from logistics company Toll that said it was noticing lower orders from retailers around the world. Yeah, I think it is interesting because retailers are overstocked generally and are ordering less from manufacturers as the economies of the United States and Europe slow markedly. This, of course, will have a ripple effect on the global economy, including Australia. Alan Beechin, the managing director of Toll Group, said he was already noticing lower orders from retailers in the US and Europe that are adjusting inventory levels downwards as demand for consumers slowed. No doubt both those two major economies, the US and Europe, are looking like they're going to go into recession. Sean, global insurance giant QBE has warned that profit margins are being squeezed as claims come in higher than anticipated. The war in Ukraine and bad weather hitting American crops is hurting the insurer, and that's hurting measures of profitability of its insurance operation. Now, QBE yesterday said it will put away more money for insurance claims with a long tail. That's sort of claims that take years to eventuate, such as people injured in accidents. That bad news, though, will be offset somewhat by the expected release of reserves after legal wins in Australia against business customers making COVID-19 claims. QBE share price fell half a percent yesterday. Uh, Moving on to overseas news now, a New Zealand's highest court ruled yesterday that the country's voting age of 18 was discriminatory, forcing Parliament now to discuss whether it should be lowered. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. The case has been going through the courts since 2020 and was brought by advocacy group Make It 16, which wants the age lowered to include 16 and 17-year-olds. According to Reuters, the Supreme Court found the voting age of 18 was inconsistent with the country's Bill of Rights, which gives people a right to be free from age discrimination when they're 16. Fair enough. That decision triggers a process in which the issue must come before Parliament for discussion and be reviewed by a parliamentary select committee. It doesn't force Parliament to change the voting age. It does force the debate, though. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, sure will. But how about this one, Sean? Walt Disney Co. has reappointed its longtime CEO, Bob Iger, to the role, replacing Bob Chapek after two years of underperformance and rising costs at the Disney Plus streaming service. Yes, no one expected this. Bob Iger was CEO of Disney for 15 years until appointing Chapek as his successor a couple of years ago. But heavy investment in the Disney Plus streaming service in the past couple of years has damaged the company's profitability and credibility, even though the theme park business is recovering strongly from the pandemic. Disney Plus, Michael, has racked up losses of more than $8 billion US dollars since it launched three years ago. Hence, Bob Iger is back. He certainly is. Now, another thing that's happened over the last couple of weeks that you've been gone is the debacle that's been unfolding at Twitter. And every day there is a new element to the story. Elon Musk is continuing to reinstate banned accounts now. Yesterday it was Donald Trump. Today it's the artist formerly known as Kanye West. Yay, as he's known now, was suspended from Twitter for an anti-Semitic tweet. Now, his first tweet back when he was allowed simply said, Shalom. Not sure what to make of that. Musk responded positively to Ye's initial tweet, tweeting, Don't kill what ye hate, say what ye love. Now, of course, Donald Trump and Ye have both come out and said they're going to do alternate media platforms rather than Twitter. But I think Elon Musk reckons that they'll be forced to come back just because of the numbers on that social media platform. All right. Now, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview. We mentioned it before. Cynthia Scott, the Managing Director of Zipco in Australia and New Zealand. Perfect timing given the government's report that came out yesterday. Cynthia is all for regulation. Very well worth a listen. Absolutely. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Now, thank you, Michael. I know you're about to sign off with it's Tuesday, the 22nd of November, 2022, but how can I not say something to you about 221122? What a great date. It is actually. It's We discussed this date last month when I pointed out a date that you said was completely insignificant and you said, wait until we get to the 22nd of the 11th, 22. That's right. I will be very, very excited <laughs> and you lived up to your promise. <laughs> All right. It is, in fact, Tuesday, the 22nd of November, 2022. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day. 